How are we? Good, good, good. Uh, it is so good to be here with you all, this beautiful family. Happy New Year. Um, I love Reset Week, I'm not going to lie, but let's be real. I love being here together with the family that much more. So uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, I want you to know, I know I say this often, but uh, it is so often where I come in and my spirit, my soul is doing, uh, who knows, maybe it's high, maybe it's just in the middle, neutral, whatever it may be. But hearing the people of God singing out to the person of God uh, really does minister to my soul. And so when we are singing worship songs, we're not just singing to God, we're actually lifting up the brothers and sisters around us too, as you did for me this morning. So I just love worshiping. That's one of the great things we get to do. And praise God for a family and community. Amen. Well, hey, my name is Tori. Uh, I am one of the pastors, lead pastor here at The Well. If we haven't got a chance to uh, meet, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And I'm excited to kick off a new series that we're calling Resolved. And really what we're doing is we're kind of taking the, uh, 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 the New Year's resolutions that people kind of tend to make, and we're kind of encouraging and challenging us to say, hey, what would it look like if we actually resolved to kind of create some habits and some systems and some rhythms in our life that will actually impact not just the momentary, moments of our life, though those are important and necessary, but they actually carry with us throughout all of life and even into eternity itself. We really believe that God has given us the ability to uh, create systems, to create habits that will uh, drastically impact the world around us. And so when you're looking at New Year's resolutions and you're looking at them uh, online, people tend to really kind of create uh, four overarching categories of resolutions. What do y'all think those resolutions are? What are the kind of overarching categories? Health is one of them. That's the number one. Spiritual is one of them. I heard that. Finances are one of them. And relationships are the other one. There we go, okay? And so that's actually what we're going to cover over the next five weeks. We're going to be looking at our spiritual health or habits or rhythms. We're gonna be looking at our financial health and even our physical health and our bodies because the scriptures talk a ton about that. The only one we won't be covering during this series is relational health or relationships. And that's just because we're doing a longer series on it in the spring. And so we really wanna cover all of these and say, hey, what does it look like to actually uh, create some biblical foundation to these habits, to these resolutions that will really carry with us long term. And so I'm excited for this series because I think the scripture actually has a ton to say about all of these resolutions. They are on our hearts, not just because we feel like they uh, need to get better, but I believe that God puts them on our hearts because they're things that actually impact us in very deep ways. And so building systems, building uh, rhythms, building habits, that's what we're looking at. And so today we kick off our first of two weeks on uh, spiritual health. What I would argue is the most important rhythm or habit to have as a whole. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to start off in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible, the ushers are coming forward right now. And uh, if you would like a Bible, you could just raise your hand and they would give you one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, would you please take and keep that? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word, be able to use it, uh, read it during the week. That will be especially important at the end of this sermon today. And so if you don't have a Bible, please take that. You can also uh, follow along in some of these uh, ways here. Uh, the instructions there are on the screen, but we say this every week. Uh, I want your eyes on the Word. I genuinely, deeply believe that the Word of God is what communicates life to us. And as we'll even hear today, it is so important for us to be able to uh, interact with the text. And so that it's not just me saying things, but rather the Word of God speaking to us. We want you to follow along and to see, man, the Word still speaks to us very, very clearly today. Okay, so 
When you look at God in the scriptures, I think that it's so evidently clear that God actually creates these rhythms or these habits or these patterns, and we see this all throughout the Bible of ways in which we can remember who God is and sort of motivate us toward following him more faithfully and more fully. We see sacrificial systems in the Old Testament. We see festivals that they did, that they remembered things that God had done in their life. We see this pattern of Sabbath that God himself even creates at the creation itself that these uh, rhythms or habits are actually really helpful for us in our lives to really uh, motivate us to know God more, to uh, think about him more clearly, to remember, reflect on what God has done. And so habits or patterns or systems, they're actually a really, really healthy, a really good thing. And so I'm a big New Year's resolution guy. I love creating uh, new uh, resolutions throughout each year. And I usually have like way too many. This year I had 19, okay? Absurd, I know. I'm a big guy, that's what I'm saying, right? Uh, And I know that I'm not going to complete all of them, but the idea is to try to create enough system and structure that will help motivate me long term, and that's what I want to do today. When you look at our spiritual health, you really can uh, see all these patterns that God has created, even for us as Christians. Historically, there are these things called spiritual disciplines or means of grace is another word that people use. These things that we can do that will help us really engage with and understand God. In fact, if we look at this chart here, they can kind of be broken down into two overarching categories. Some of them are private practices. They're things that we do by ourselves between us and the Lord. There's not really other people that are involved in that. It's just us and God often. But then there are also a ton of corporate practices, things that we do collectively together as the people that will help us really understand God more fully. Now, this list isn't exhaustive by any means, but I do think that it is helpful. Next week, we're going to focus more on the corporate aspect of these uh, disciplines or these means of grace, but this week we're going to look at the private ones, and we'll look specifically at prayer and scripture reading this week, because I think that those are two of them that uh, are most crucial in our walk with God. Now, one piece of encouragement for you is that even if you are not really a follower of Jesus, maybe you're coming to church, you're trying to figure this God thing out, maybe somebody invited you, or you're trying to understand a little bit more about who Christ is, these are actually really great ways by which to do that. For what the disciplines are is they are means by which we can understand God more clearly and interact with him on a more consistent, on a regular, and a more complete uh, uh, basis. And so really for the elder or the skeptic or the apathetic or the on fire Christian or wherever we may kind of be in our faith journeys right now, these are actually really helpful ways to help us really take those next steps in our relationship with God and understanding who God is. And so if we commit to these with any real sense of consistency, we're really going to grow in our understanding of God. So no matter where we are, these are healthy things that will stir up our affections for God in very clear and in very tangible ways, okay? Now, practicing these does not guarantee your success or that next week you're going to come and be prostrate on the floor because of how much you love God, right? Like that's not a, a, a promise by any means in scripture. In fact, I think a, an easy analogy that I thought of was uh, since yesterday and today start the NFL playoffs and uh, both Texas teams made it. One's already out. The other one ain't going nowhere. Don't worry, Cowboys fans. All right. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> 
tomorrow's the national championship, college football, right? And there's a team that we all want to lose unless you're from that state of Alabama, all right? And so, roll tide, there you go. I knew there was going to be one. Thank you. Uh, but I thought a football analogy would be really easy about the disciplines and what they do in our life, okay? Uh, when I went to college, I went to college to play football. I uh, never played, got hurt right away, but I was a receiver. And a receiver, if you're not familiar with football at all, is a person who catches the ball, Okay. <laughs> And what happens is, is that you get these play calls and there are plays that you run or routes that you run as a receiver. And so one route might be a go or a fly, it's just running straight up the field, right? Or another route might be a slant. You take one step or maybe three steps and then you go toward the middle. And there's all these complexities and reasons why in which these routes are drawn, but there are all these routes that you can run, okay? Now, like any receiver, every single time I ran a route, I believed that I was wide open, right? And like any prima donna receiver, I just thought the quarterback should have thrown me the ball every single time, all right? And so I'd be running down the field, I'd be triple covered and be like, why don't you throw it to me, bro? Right? Like, I'm open, right? And this is just how receivers act. I don't know what it is about it, but think about it what you wish, okay? And what would happen is, is I would run these routes, I would run these routes, and sincerely, sometimes I would actually be wide open, nobody anywhere around me, but the quarterback would choose to throw it to somebody else, okay? I think that this is really similar with the spiritual disciplines. The disciplines are kind of us running the route, and God's the quarterback that he may choose to throw us the ball when we run that route, okay? Now, I may be open, but maybe I was trying to draw a defense away for somewhere else. Maybe the play was designed for somebody else totally different at that moment. However, if I choose not to to run the route, if uh, the, the play is, hey, go run a fly, and instead I just stop one yard in and say, throw me the ball, right? The quarterback's actually never going to throw me the ball because he'll look to where I'm supposed to be, I won't be there, and he'll go to somebody else. I think the spiritual disciplines are very, very similar. They do not guarantee our success. We may run the route and not receive the ball per se, but it really is helping the team at large as you run the correct route. But we can be assured that if we do not do any of these, we're never going to catch the ball. You tracking with that? We're never going to be able to receive, really, because we're not positioning ourselves in a way to receive from God. We're not positioning ourselves in a way to be able to uh, uh, consume what he has for us and the, the grace that he wants to bestow upon us. And so these are the ways to kind of run the route to position us into a, a deeper relationship with God. Now, I think that what we can actually do is, rather than focusing on these specifically, we can actually look at the disciplined uh, uh, Christian in general and see what Paul's understanding of discipline is, and then we can apply these to this to help us really walk this out more clearly and more fully. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is where we're going to be for the bulk of this morning, Paul gives this analogy or this picture of a disciplined person, of somebody who is consistent in their route running, who is serious about their relationship with God and how they kind of carry that out. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, pick it up in verse 24. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so we see a few things about the Christian life that I think highlights the disciplines for us in this section. Paul also uses a sports analogy, so for you non-sports lovers, I'm sorry, okay? Next week we'll do a lot of like British baking show analogies or something, right? <laughs> uh, 
But Paul is discussing the runner who runs the race or the boxer who fights. Athletics were actually huge in Corinth. In fact, which is where Paul's writing this letter. They were even bigger than uh, football in America, which I know is hard to believe, right? But we see really three important things about the spiritually dedicated life, the disciplined life from this section by looking at an athlete. Firstly, we see in verse 25 that a spiritually disciplined person is deliberate in all things. They are deliberate in all things. Deliberate or purposeful is another way we can say that. Paul's saying that they're exercising self-control. There's purpose. There's deliberation in what they are doing. This is very true of athletes, right? They're very self-controlled. They're deliberate in what they do at large. I once saw a documentary of Tom Brady, maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live, also coming from uh, University of Michigan, go blue, all right? But uh, we said, or he said that he um, exercises and uh, maintains his body, not for that upcoming season, but for how he believes his body will respond three seasons from now. And so when he was 30, he was preparing it for as if he was 33. And when his body was 33, when he's 41, like he is now, he's preparing for 44. That's why he believes he could play for so long, because there's all this deliberation. There's this intentionality behind what he is doing. In fact, I saw another NFL documentary where uh, the player was actually measuring how many blueberries he ate that morning for breakfast because he didn't want to eat too little or too many. Look, y'all, if I eat blueberries, your boy's doing great, right? I'd be like, I had a blueberry muffin for breakfast. I'm healthy today, right? And yet here this guy is. He is literally measuring his blueberries, okay? There's a deliberation. There's an intentionality. There's a seriousness about preparing his body in such a way so that he can win the football game. If that is true of a football game, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more are spiritual lives, which actually exist throughout all of eternity, And so there's a a need for there to be an intentionality here, right? The means of grace, the spiritual disciplines are a way to do that. There are means by which we can receive and understand the grace of God more fully in our life. This is why we should be deliberate in practicing them. Secondly, we see that the spiritually disciplined person is a uh, discriminatory person. He's uh, discriminatory in all things, it says. This is true about an athlete too, right? There are some things that they want to do or that they need to do if they're going to be great, but there are also some things that they just can't do. They have to discriminate against. They have to say, I'm not going to choose those things, right? Like a quarterback can't drink several beers right before going out and playing football. Why? Because then he'd look like Matthew Stafford from the Lions and wouldn't play that great. I'm from Detroit. I could do it, right? I know he's a Georgia guy too, though. Sorry, Hannah. All right, but right, what happens? We have to choose to do the right things. When we choose not to do them, then we get thrown off. We have to say, I'm going to do something, but I'm also going to choose not to do these other things. A guitarist, if he or she wants to be a great guitarist, can't just watch This Is Us and Office reruns and expect to be great, right? They have to choose to give that up and to practice what? The guitar, right? If they want to be a great guitarist. And so they need to not just choose the right thing, but also not get caught up in doing the wrong thing. And this is the same is true in the spiritually disciplined person. If we want to grow in our affections and our relationship with God, we have to not just choose the right things to do, but we also have to give up the wrong things, which will steal our affections away from God. You cannot, as Paul said here, run aimlessly, just run around not knowing where you're going. There has to be a focus and a surrendering in a way. So what that may mean is that you may have to give up two or three minutes on your Insta feed so you can spend two or three minutes more in the Word of God, right? What, one amen there? Y'all don't do that, <laughs> right? I do. 
You may have to give up TV, right, to be able to actually spend time in prayer. You may have to give up a meal so that you can fast and actually seek God's will for your life. You may have to give up whatever it may be to interact with God for you are purposeful. You are really discriminating in a way, right? I know it has a negative connotation in our culture, but think about the idea of that word. I'm not doing this. I'm going to choose this. This is better. You are doing that spiritually to say, I am going to be purposeful in pursuing God and really a uh, uh, tangible ways. Can I confess to y'all where I was not doing this last year? Yeah. One person. Other people are like, do I want my pastor to confess? Yes, you do. Okay. Last year, I was spending way too much time on my phone, right? Like an inordinate amount of time on my phone. There was just way too much uh, that I was doing on my phone. And some of it was work stuff, right? Like texting or calling people. But some of it was just uh, playing games. I had this baseball game that I played, and I was dope at it, y'all. I was like <laughs> killing it, right? Hitting home run every swing, right? But I was spending way too much time on it, or the internet, or ESPN, or whatever it may have been. And so this year, one of my resolutions, which you can keep me fully accountable to, is that I've actually put up a ton of blockers and uh, put a password protection on my app store so I can't download games or just different things that will steal my affection away and cause me to kind of waste time where I could be putting that toward relationships or toward my relationship with God. Instead, I was putting it there and I just don't want to do that, right? Because I don't want to feed my flesh. I want to feed my soul. Now listen, I'm not saying that ESPN is a bad thing, right? I looked at ESPN this morning. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? However, if ESPN is the only thing that you were looking at, it will grate away at your soul and you will not be spiritually whole the way that God has designed you to and your highest source of joy will be what comes from ESPN. And y'all, that is not a very joy-filled life right? God has so much more for you than just that. And so you have to be purposeful and you have to choose to give up certain things if you're going to pursue a relationship with God. It takes work in a lot of ways, but God has so much that is planned for you. And as you plan to spend time with him, like the athlete, when you run well, you will receive from God. From God is a benevolent God. Where my analogy breaks down earlier about throwing the ball is that God doesn't just throw one at one time. He can hit all of us at the same time because he is a gracious God that is able to give abundantly to his children. And so when you run the route, you will receive from him if you are looking for him, but you have to run it and you have to choose to give up other things in the process. Lastly, the spiritually disciplined person from this section is diligent in all things, okay? So they're deliberate or they're purposeful. They know what the target is. They do certain things. They're discriminatory. They don't do certain things. And then they're diligent. They pursue the right things, but look, continually, they continue to do it. They don't just do it for one minute and then stop the next minute, right? It is good to read your Bible, but if you are not diligent in it, it will not make the most full or the most complete change. Like, think about the person who only goes to the gym on January the 2nd because, you know, new year, new me, right? And so you'd be up in there like, ah, right? Getting, getting swole, broski, right? With your new shorts you got for Christmas, your wireless headphones, right? And then two weeks from now, None of y'all in there, right? Y'all want me to preach truth or what? Is that just me, right? Like all of a sudden, that doesn't actually carry any long-term significance. It may help us a little bit, but it takes consistency. It takes rhythms, habits, patterns to actually grow in our physical health in that way. And if that is true physically, it is also true spiritually as well, right? Um, this is, diligence is important in the spiritually disciplined person. And when we practice these spiritual disciplines, these means of grace, and we do them on a frequent 
and on a consistent basis, there's an understanding, a posture that happens in our heart that allows us to receive from God even that much more beautifully, and we get used to receiving from God, and we grow in that. Just like the receiver, if I only run one route and I just practice maybe once a month, I'm probably not going to be that great at catching the ball. But when I run the same route over and over and over again, and I catch it 10, 20, 30, 100, 1,000 times in a day, I'm probably going to get pretty good at catching that ball, and when it's thrown to me, I'm able to receive it. It takes diligence. It takes consistency. There's stamina that's involved, right? And so this is what's important for the spiritual person. There's a a, a desire for them to actually walk out in these ways, and this will help them receive from God in very beautiful ways. Now, I don't want you to mishear me about any of these means of grace, these ways that we can receive the grace of God, understand the grace of God. These things are not salvific in and of themselves, okay? They do not save you. If you read your Bible or pray, you are not therefore automatically a better Christian than somebody who does not. For the Pharisees were reading their Bibles and praying a lot, and Jesus said the more they did it, it was actually making them worse. Why? Because Matthew 23, 4 says they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it so that they could become better people and almost lord over people. And so they thought that they were salvific and it was actually hurting them, not realizing that it was actually these very things that actually pointed them to the person who can save, Jesus right? This is what the means of grace are. They are not salvific in nature, but they do point to the person who can save, Jesus, and they show us our need for him, and they posture us to be able to understand him in these beautiful ways, and so we have to be careful at thinking the spiritual disciplines will make us a better Christian or something. What they really do is they make us a more humble Christian, a postured Christian that is able to receive from God in these very beautiful ways. Are we posturing ourselves? Are we humble before God, right? This is what we have to think about. And so this is where we are at. Now, there are many private practices that we can do that we can kind of take these uh, discipline and this diligence and we can apply them in. But I want to really briefly, and I mean really briefly, I want to think about two. Because I want to just give us two very practical questions that I want us to walk away with today to kind of apply into our life throughout this upcoming year. I think we all struggle with scripture and prayer by one means or another. And if I were to take a poll right now and say, do you struggle with reading your Bible? We'd probably have half the room raise their hand. And if I said, do you struggle with prayer? We'd probably have the other half of the room raise their hand. For these are the two things that are most called upon in the scriptures to do continually and also what we struggle with the most. And so I just want to look at them really quickly. And I want to ask the question, how can we grow in these this year? How can we grow in our private practices to really connect with God in these beautiful ways. And so you don't have to turn here, but Luke 11.1, this will be the idea of prayer. And I love this section here, okay? The disciples are talking to Jesus. Jesus has just gotten done praying. And it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is a fascinating passage. It fascinates me for two reasons. One, we see the Son of God praying, If Jesus, who is God himself, is praying, you and I need to pray. Amen? Right? Like, this is just true. Jesus, who is God incarnate, who has no sin, no struggle, he knows the will of God, he's still praying to God. And so it's not just when we have a need do we go to God. We go to God because in prayer we find relationship with him. And this is what Jesus was after, this intimacy, this connection with his father. And so if Jesus is praying, we need to pray as well. But secondly, I want you to think about these disciples here. 
These weren't just, you know, kind of run-of-the-mill type of men. Some of these men, at least, would have been trained up in the synagogues, and they would have been taught how to pray since they were an infant, since they were a child. And yet something about Jesus' prayer life made them realize the intimacy and the fervor and the depth that you have is far more than what we have. Lord, teach us how to pray. In other words, you never grow to be like a veteran in your prayer life, right? You only grow in depth, not in, uh, you know, a, a level of success, if you will. And so there was something about prayer that made them uh, long. And what we see is that prayer is a learning process, friends. So if you're not good at prayer, it is okay. It's a learning process. Prayer, out of all of the means of grace, is the thing that I struggle with the most, I, is a struggle for me to pray consistently, but as I have tried to be diligent and tried to be disciplined in doing it, God has been teaching me how to pray, and year after year, my prayer life gets a little bit better, a little bit better to where I find greater and greater intimacy with God. You can be taught how to pray, but you have to actually go out and try to do it, right? If you said, Tori, I know nothing about football, teach me to play football, and then you never came out to practice, you wouldn't learn how to play, Right? In the same way, if we want to pray more, we have to try. We have to get down on our knees and pray. You can't be a professional in prayer, but you can grow in your depth. And in prayer, you'll always find more intimacy with God. And what God wants you to grow in is to have even that much more resolve or that much more confidence or that much more humility or a posture of prayer that runs deep into your soul that literally nourishes you and spurs you on to godliness and to holiness and to this intimacy with Christ, which is what he desires for all of us. Prayer is the means by which we do that. It's important because it moves mountains. It's important because prayer moves the hand of God. Listen, we are a full believer of God's sovereignty, and yet in the scriptures we see God's sovereignty and humanity's freedom kind of interacting in prayer, and we see God responding to the prayers of the saints. I don't know how this divine mystery happens, but it happens, and it happens through prayer. Are we praying? Are we seeking God in this way? This is one of the key ways that we grow in our understanding of who God is. Richard Foster, who is an author, who I'll uh, reference again later at the end of today, but he says this. He says, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation introduces us to an inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. Scripture reading transforms our minds. But it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. So practical question, okay? How, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life right now, right? And how can you grow in your prayer life this year, in 2019, what are some things that you can do that you can resolve to do that will help aid your relationship with God because of your consistency, your deliberation, right? Your giving up of other things to focus on prayer. What does that mean for you? And I don't know. 
I could literally give you a list of 100 different things you could do, right? And many of them were helpful. And I'll give you a couple of books you can even read at the end that I think is helpful. But I want you to begin to think about that even right now. God, where is my prayer life and how can I grow in it? Maybe you're awesome. Maybe you're the dude that gets up at 4 a.m. You're on your knees for three hours every single morning. Look, that's awesome. Be praying for a building for us, for my wife, for I got a lot of things I can send to you, all right? Right? But man, maybe you just haven't even really prayed at all. Maybe you don't even know what to do. Maybe the way you can grow is just to look to Jesus today and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And maybe that's your simple prayer to God that catapults you into this depth with God. But your relationship with God will flourish as you spend time. Just like Natalie and I wouldn't have true intimacy or a true relationship if I never talked to her, so it's true between you and the Lord too. If you never talk to him in prayer, how can you have depth of relationship? This is where relationship flourishes in a lot of ways, okay? Secondly, scripture, all right? How can you be more consistent or diligent in your scripture reading? Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous 19th century pastor uh, in England, he says this, why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? Because they neglect their closets, this is, he's speaking of a prayer life here, and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word, They love the wheat, but they uh, do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they do not stoop to drink it. From such folly deliver us, O Lord. That is a prayer request of mine. I literally saw that, and I prayed that very thing. Deliver me from this foolishness, God. For it is right here. God wants intimacy with you. The divine is not distant. He is not some God with arms folded way distant in heaven that we cannot interact with or reach. God proved he want relationship with us because he sent down his son to live incarnate amongst us. Jesus is close and personal. The Holy Spirit himself dwells inside of us. Our God is a God that wants depth, y'all. He is close. But we have to draw near. The water is at our feet, but will we stoop down to drink it? And this is what we are thinking of. And friends, nothing that I have experienced awakens up our heart or stirs up our our affections or fires us up for mission or causes us to be humble and to repent or drives us to love our neighbor. Nothing does this like the word of God. Are we reading it? Is it stirring us up in these beautiful ways? This book is God's love letters written directly to you. Are you reading them, friends? He wants you to see them. He wants you to see him and his character, and who he is, and his love for you. Do you know the God who wants to speak to you so plainly, right? I even think about it very practically. Seeing the word and hearing the word helps you to realize the difference between your flesh, between the world's lies, between the enemy who hates you and will consistently lie to you, and between God. For when you read this, you know God's voice, And you know when it is a lie and when it is from him, for it is becoming more and more plain as you read about the God in scripture, you are able to discern what is truth and what is lie, and the will for your life will be made more and more clear as you spend time in the word, friends. This is the power, the importance of the word for us. There are so many verses and scripture passages that talk about the importance of the Bible, right? The longest chapter of scripture is all about the beauty and majesty of the word. But I was reading in my quiet time this week, and I just want to read really quickly in Psalm 29. You can turn there. Psalm 29 is this beautiful psalm, and we'll kind of end with this passage today, thinking about the word and how can we add the word into our life. And it says this, beginning in verse 3. It says, the voice of the Lord, I'll stop. 
The voice of the Lord is the scriptures for us. This is where his voice is spoken most plainly, most directly, and most consistently. And so when we read this, I want you to think about that in that context, right? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. I don't really know what that means, but maybe the deer is like scared and it's like, ah, and it gives birth, right? <laughs> it strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In the word of God, you see all this power, this majesty. It's almost like a trembling experience before God, right? There's all of this uh, explosiveness. It flashes forth flames of fire, it says. And so you would expect it to say, when the word of God comes into our life, we terrify or we don't know what to do, but it says it gives us strength and it blesses his people with peace. If you feel weak or if you feel unrest, maybe it's because the voice of the Lord is not speaking to your soul enough. When you let the word of God speak to you, the Lord will come close and he will give you strength. It says that there, right? And he will give you peace. Will you allow God to do that for you? Will you seek him enough to know the depth that he wants in your relationship with him? And so how can you grow in your time in the word? Maybe you don't read it all and maybe reading for five minutes a night this year will be what helps you cultivate a relationship with God. That's awesome. Maybe you read for like 30 minutes a night and you need to maybe dive deeper into a text. Man, do that. Maybe you need to meditate on the word more. Maybe you need to pray through the word more. I don't know. There's all these once again ways. You can just Google it. How can I grow in reading the Bible, right? And it will give you a list of a lot of things you can do, but resolve to do something, friends. Resolve to do something, for in the word there is depth and nothing will spur you to love God and to love people and to be compelled toward mission like the word of God will. Now, I know when we do a sermon like this, I know what our gut response to be is to be because we are a worker, uh, people by nature, right? And so we want to then read through the whole Bible, not in a year, not in a month, but by like tomorrow afternoon, right? And every weekend from here on out, we want to do a prayer retreat, right? And then when we fail and we're like, I'm going to read the Bible this year, we get to Leviticus and we're like, I'm even going to make it through Leviticus. And then we get to Numbers, which is right behind it. We're like, I can't do it, Right? The fear, the, the feeling is often that we will beat ourselves up and we will feel down on ourselves. If you read the word of God enough, you will know that that is not from God, that's from you. For God is not a disappointed God, but one who will continually try to draw us into himself in these very beautiful ways. We often put guilt on ourselves as a way to which to be disciplined, but that is not a good motivator, right? Guilt is actually a great momentary motivator, but it is a long-term poison, and you will end up sapping your soul if you just throw guilt upon yourself. And so I'm not preaching guilt today. 
What I am want to preach to you is the gospel. For Jesus himself is actually the very example and our forgiveness when we don't do any of these things well, right? When you think about the person of Christ, Jesus, though being God, was praying. We see that very clearly. He was in the word. When Satan was tempting him, he was quoting the word back to Satan, right? He knew the word well. He read it frequently. He was fasting. He was Sabbathing, though being the very Sabbath rest of God. We see Jesus interacting and practicing all of these disciplines very, very frequently and together. But, friends, he's also our forgiveness for us when we fail at these. For when we do not read the word of God, guess what? Jesus is the word of God. And Jesus dwells inside of us so that even when we are not planning it in, he will grow it out because of his affections for you if you believe in him. When you are not praying, he has given you the Holy Spirit that intercedes on your behalf, the scriptures say. And he is the high priest that is before the Father, taking those requests continually, for he is a God that even when we fail at all of the disciplines, they don't save us, he does. And he will continue to save us, and he will continue to draw us in. But what he does want for us after that salvation is to drink rich and deeply from the grace of God. And the means of grace are the way that we do that, friends. So you don't have to beat yourself up. You can go home and fail completely and fully and forever the rest of your lives. If you believe in Jesus, you will still go live with him forever when you die. What a beautiful gospel. That very truth should draw you into God that much deeper. (laughs) Who loves you like that? This unconditional love. And so what God is saying is come deeper, drink richer from me. And that's what I want us to do as a people this year. And so I want to close here in prayer, but I want you to really begin to think about it. Maybe it's right now during this prayer time, or maybe in your car before you pull off today, you spend just a few minutes and you say, God, what would you have me do this year, right, that draws me into greater depth with you? What would you have me do specifically with prayer and with the scriptures that will allow my soul's affections to stir and to to spur me on for you and for who you are? And so let's spend a few moments in prayer. I'm actually going to pray over us as a body. And then I want you just to sit and just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything you would have me do this year that will help me really walk with you more clearly? Maybe you don't know. It's okay. This is what we are here for, right? Ask your brothers and sisters to help you. Go to your community groups. Go to your friends. Just pull somebody aside that's in here and say, man, I want to grow more. Would you walk with me maybe in doing this? Can we hold each other accountable? Can we meet up once a week and talk about what we're reading and how we're reading? There are all these ways that God has, all these means of grace, right? But let's pray, and I want to give us a couple of moments to really think about that with the Lord. Father, I thank you. In a few minutes, in those moments of silence, Would you help us to know what we are to do with you? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our souls? Would you tell us how we can live more clearly, more fully, more diligently with you, God? Lord, I pray for those who may not know you in here. Maybe today is the day that they decide to surrender their life to you. It's scary. I know we don't have all the answers. But maybe even just by hearing the word today, they want to live in intimacy and harmony with you. Friends, the offer is open. God says, come. He wants to save you. All these works don't save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Jesus does. And if you put your trust in him, say, Jesus, I want to surrender and follow you. You can be assured that you will live forever with him. And for all of us that have placed our trust, our faith in Christ in this way, I pray right now, Spirit, that you would speak to us about how we can grow 
and our depth and our intimacy with you, specifically in scripture and prayer this year, would you speak to us even now, Father?